Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's up, team? Hopefully this week is uneventful. I pray that it's uneventful. I'm actually recording this on Monday, so it's a couple of days before the presidential inauguration, and hopefully that goes smoothing. Smoothing? Is that even a word? Smoothly. How about that? But you are here to join a discussion about independent music from the people that create it, from the people that love it, from the people that shape it. That's what we do on this podcast. If you are joining now, you got about eight years worth of content to go through. <laughs> Dive back in the archives, find some interviews with people you like, and then uh, you know come along on this journey because uh, we'll, we'll we'll be here. I'll I'll be here for many many years to come because that's uh, this is just something I feel incredibly passionate about. And even as I get older, I find myself being more and more entrenched within the idea of how important this music community is. So, anyways. This person is also a lifer, and his name is Brian Funk. He plays in a band called Thou, and Thou is an incredibly prolific and uh, inspirational band in many ways because uh, they have done the whole thing, you know, very DIY, very punk, hardcore oriented in regards to the way they, you know, book shows, put out records, collaborate with a ton of friends. And uh, the band's been, you know, existing for quite some time. 
I actually just probably within the past six or eight months or so kind of unlocked that. They'd always been this band that kind of existed in my periphery where I was aware of the band, enjoyed what they did, but never really dove head deep into it. And uh, they actually, they released a compilation of all of their Nirvana covers. And uh, I'd known that they had done these, you know, on a variety of different tribute comps and just kind of on their own. But hearing them all in summation, I was like, this band is unbelievably devastating, just so good. And then on the heels of that, they released their split with Emma Ruth Rundle. And I just, at that point, that's when Thou became unlocked to me. And I I dove into their entire catalog and I had to have Brian on the show. So that's what we did. This is actually the second time we recorded this conversation because the first time, for whatever reason, his side of the audio became corrupted. And I, I went through like, 17 different problem solving solutions to try to get that audio. And for whatever reason, it just didn't, it didn't happen, but we made it happen. Now, Brian was a great chat. Come to find out he's a huge metalcore nerd like myself. And so, uh, you know, I felt like I was talking to a friend who I didn't know yet, but let's talk about how you can interact with the show. 100 words podcast at gmail.com. Always email the show ideas, you know, guest stuff, whatever it is you want feedback on. Just, just hit me up. Cause I love to hear from people. And then you can also, of course, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. It takes you like 30 seconds at the the most. You can also write some kind words if you want to. That stuff all helps the show, which I'm not going to go into uh, the minutia and details why, but there's a reason (laughs) that people ask you to do that. And uh, I'm just another one of those people that's asking you. So here we go. Here's our chat with Brian. And uh, yeah, let's do it. The thing that I have always found interesting about Thou is that you you guys, like you could exist in a lot of different places in regards to uh, geographically speaking, but it makes, to me, it makes so much sense you exist in Louisiana just because you're a band that inter- that sits at the intersection of so many different heavy music genres that so many bands from Louisiana also kind of sit in that from, you know, like I Hate God and like bands of that nature where it's like, eh, your metal, your hardcore, your punk, you have all these things kind of combined into one. Um, do you notice that being something that is kind of part of the, I guess the heavy music of Louisiana or is that me just reading way too far into it? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that in general um, you sort of have to, if, I mean, at least in new Orleans, you have to have a sort of punk attitude about things because uh it's just not like one of these, you know, like big shot towns where there's a lot going on or there's a lot of opportunities. You, you sort of have to be, um, you know, willing to do whatever it takes to either play a show or, um, you know, even just like get a band together with like, like finding people who are, who are interested in the same thing as you and, um, have any any sort of like skill with like playing an instrument or whatever? I think it's it can be kind of difficult down here. I mean, New Orleans is sort of like a like a big small town, you know. Like it's um it's not like one of these mm-hmm. um, I don't know one of these like metropolitan cities where there's like a lot of people to choose from and a lot of people are into like a lot of um, different 
kinds of music to pull from. I mean, you're pulling in whoever you can. Um, and I think also like uh, New Orleans just sort of breeds a certain kind of person that, you, you know, even if they aren't like a punk per se, you know, they're um, there's more of a willingness to sort of like, um, I don't know, get your hands dirty or something. Or there's, there's like a friendliness that like, I think lends itself to like the spirit of a punk, like the, uh, you know, commun- sense of community or like, you know, a, a, some kind of, uh, willingness to work towards some kind of community, even if it's just being like, I don't know, polite and courteous to other people or, or, or friendly, maybe, maybe a little too over, overly friendly. Did that even answer? Did it even answer the question? It, it, well, no, I, I mean, it didn't directly answer the question, but you painted a picture of the yeah. idea that, you know, because there are more limited options that it does, you know, kind of make, you work with people that have all of these, you know, disparate influences as opposed to like, oh yeah, I'm going to enlist, you know, three hardcore kids that like the same exact bands as I do. And we're probably going to spit out something that sounds exactly like the bands that we like, as opposed to like, well, here's a person that's like kind of into this stuff. Like they like heavy music, but they like a lot of different stuff. So it can kind of influence that. Right. I mean, you know, and and like for me, like coming from like, oh, hardcore background or whatever interest in like a very specific kind of hardcore, you know, for the longest time I could count the, the amount of people in new Orleans who listen to the same stuff as me on two hands, you know, one hand for a long time. So, um, in terms of like starting a band, whatever that's going to sound like, um, yeah, you, you definitely have sort of like limited, limited resources in terms of, people you're you're trying to pull in um yeah i don't know i mean um i'm trying i'm trying to i'm trying to think of it in terms of like how it how it reflects on us specifically um i mean i you know i don't know like we we I, i think like in terms of like vow like we didn't um like when they started this band there was sort of like a clear idea of like the sound they were going for which is like a post-rock thing um but even that like i don't i don't know if more than like two of those guys two or three of those guys were even listening to that stuff and it was you know they were still just grabbing people who were like their friends you know in their in their peer group um you know so i think i think it's more about that like who you who you resonate with personally more so than like what your musical leanings potentially will be, you know. And I do think that you are correct in the idea that, I mean, especially when you are starting to get together with people and be creative, you may have the idea of a band sounding a certain way, but then, you know, maybe not relatively quickly, but you'll be able to see the different directions you start to head as you start to, you know, put out more stuff and tour and get all these experiences. You'd be like, oh yeah, we wanted to sound like this band, but... With that, that did not end up what we, you know, we shot out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I've heard, I've heard those guys say too that, um, you know, I, I was looking at some interview, uh, some like bass interview Mitch did recently, and and he he was saying that like the vouch sound sort of changed when I joined just because of the screaming versus like the singing vocals, but um, 
I don't even know if that's necessarily true because, you know, they, when I joined, they already had that first record written, which is still like a heavy record. Um, you know, and I just, I can't, I, they had that record written and recorded. And I came in and just put vocals on it, uh, which was definitely different than what they were doing before. But, uh, you know, I, I think they were already sort of like heading down a certain path um, organically, even without the screen. And maybe, maybe me joining and like, my push for like, um, you know, c- coming from like, um, like the hardcore metalcore stuff, maybe that did push it in a certain direction. Um, since we were, a lot of us were listening to like heavier stuff at the time. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like a sort of organic thing. You, you sort of just find your way with it. And I, and I think, I think with us, we we're, we're with us, we're continuing to do that. You know I mean? We're, we're continuing to like explore, our sound and our interests and, and push it in ways that are engaging for us. I mean, I think, I think that's why, like we have all these different records where, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of them are sort of a departure from like the standard standard stuff we're maybe more known for in terms of like metal stuff. Yeah. Well, you can be, especially with how prolific you guys are, the idea that you can, you know, step more out on limbs and, you know, do splits and do covers and all this stuff. It's like, well, yeah, like, why wouldn't we do that? You know, because we want to, like, explore that, you know, pardon the uh, the metaphor, but the branch of the tree or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I know you yourself kind of putting the, the focal point on you. I mean, I know you were born and raised in uh, a, a, a suburb of Baton Rouge, right? I can't remember the name of the uh, exact town, but no. where did you come up? I'm I'm from New Orleans. I'm from I'm from a suburb in New Orleans. I'm I'm the only one not from Baton Rouge. Okay, got it. That's right. That's right. It's um Metairie. It's it's like basically the same like suburb where like um you know Crowbar and Goat Whore and all those bands are from. What age did you realize that you uh you know that those bands like existed? Was that, you know, uh much later on in life or was that um you know like in in high school and junior high? Uh, I mean, I, I was probably aware of those bands when I was in high school. Um, you know, a lot of my friends were listening to um, like Acid Bath and stuff like that in terms of like local stuff. P- Pantera was like sort of coming out and um, not that they were like technically a local band, but they were like so- sort of loosely um, associated with New Orleans. But, uh, you know, a- Acid Bath and, and I Hate God and all that stuff was still real big. I mean, I... I Hate God used to play on all the like, you know, there used to be like a Sunday hardcore matinee like once a month at the sort of like decrepit punk venue downtown. And they used to play it all the time. So I, I sort of saw them kind of early on, um, probably like my mid to later high school years, something like that. Got it. Was it, um, I mean, the, a band like I Hate God, you know, their legend looms large throughout independent music was it, um, I guess as visceral of experience for you seeing them like playing these, you know, random Sunday matinees and like, you know, because they were, uh, by all definitions, a, you know, local band, like, did that, uh, impact you at all being like, Hey, these guys are doing the thing in my town. Uh, no, I mean, probably not so much. I mean, uh, I wasn't really into them until like later years. Um, you know, the probably the first like um, I don't know, ten years or so, seeing them play at various shows, they would be so 
trashed and polluted that, uh, you know, they could barely get through a set, you know, and the, and the sets would always sort of like digress into this like violent stuff or like, you know, sort of Mike ranting at the audience or whatever. And, um, you know, it wasn't till like um, maybe like the earlier years of Val. Uh, we, we, we ended up playing a couple shows with them like right after they were, um, they, they had just gotten all put on um, probation or something where they're getting drug tested and all this stuff. And, and so they were, um, they were, they were basically just like smoking that like fake weed that you used to be able to buy from like gas stations or whatever. I don't, I don't do drugs, but you know what I'm talking about? There's, there's some kind of like potpourri style, like weed. It was like legal for like two seconds. Like here you could buy it like this, uh, record store head shop, the mushroom was like the place to get it. But so they were all smoking like that stuff and like even just like barely drinking. And they were awesome. They were like super tight. Um, Mike was funnier, you know, with his like uh, stage banter between between songs and stuff. And um, uh, I, I thought that era was, was great. Um, you know, I, I mean, I probably haven't seen them very recently. Uh, so it's hard for me to, gauge how how they are now versus then but um yeah i mean that was that that compared to like me me seeing them growing up was was way better for sure yeah i mean the reason i bring them up it's because like usually you have those one or two local bands that uh, you know you understand are making a national impact whether you can articulate that or not and uh you know i hate god is just such a weird band because of you know their um everything that you just described and how you know, debaucherous they were and how just, you know, uh, nihilistic they were that it's, it's sometimes hard to put that band in context when, you know, they're to you, a local band, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of weird to, you know, reflect on it like that. The, um, and and so, uh, you know, as you were growing up and as you started to, you know, develop your identity and, you know, understand kind of, you know, where you sat in the world, did you, you know, like, care about school did you have like a life path in mind was this very much like you know once music consumed you that was only the only thing you focused on uh no i mean i i didn't have a life path in mind <laughs> i don't know if i do now i mean maybe my life path now is the the record shop maybe but um uh no i mean i, I cared about school enough to like get through it and do okay with it um but i i'm i'm probably like um you know, not, not super smart, but too smart for my own good, like smart enough to like screw around and, um, and slack off a bit. Uh, but you know, that, that definitely let me, you know, my college years, um, to like playing in bands and putting on shows probably way more than I should have been at the time. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was very like, um, school oriented other other than just you know doing doing the bare minimum to to get through it sure what, what did you study in college I, I i studied psychology psychology and i and i uh minored in in sociology although looking back i if if i had been smart i should have um i should have taken like business classes would have been great um just for like the accounting and tax stuff and um and graphics design, any kind of graphic design stuff, like l- learning how to use PowerPoint and stuff would have been, 
I, I, I cannot say how much easier my life would be if I knew how to do that stuff because I, I do all the design work for, for thou, but, um, like I still don't know how to do any of that stuff on the computer. Um, you know, all, all the stuff is, I'm like the idea person sort of like bringing all the art together and like having the idea of like, okay, it has to, it has to go like this, but it's always like me sort of, uh, browbeating some friend into uh doing the actual like grunt work for us right to like pull it together you're like hey here's all these art files can you make this you know layout like this (laughs) yeah yeah and 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 i'm very like particular and about how i want it to look so it's a lot of like uh no no fix this this has to move here this has to be bigger this has to be smaller change this fix this so there's there's definitely a lot of that that i think um would have been better, you know, if I had taken this, if I, if I had thought, Oh, I, I should take these classes. This, this will help me. Um, this, this will be a useful, a useful thing in the, in the sphere of things that I like to do, uh, that, that would have been super helpful, but you know, I was too busy, like kind of BSing around taking, you know, interesting psychology classes or, you know, some, some English literature classes and stuff like that. Uh, pro- probably squandered those four years. And that's well. You you were doing the right thing. You were exploring yourself. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I hadn't been. I, I wish I had been. Uh, you know. Wish I had been taking some useful classes. Yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I know you went to a. Uh, I mean, just in previous interviews, you mentioned that uh, you went to like a Jesuit school. Was that in high school? Was that in like an elementary school? It was, it was high school. It was uh, Jesuit high school here. Okay. And is that similar to like, I, I guess, you know, a, a Catholic high school where, you know, like you're wearing uniforms, that sort of stuff. You're taking, you know, catechism classes and things of that nature. Yeah. It's a, it's a Catholic school and we, we had to wear uniforms. It was like, um, like a, a step below a military school, I guess. Uh, you know, although when, when I went, it was, it wasn't, you know, not that it was lax, but it was, compared to like a boarding school or something, it was a lot, a lot laxer, but New, New Orleans is, it's mostly private schools and it's mostly Catholic schools, um, especially for, for high school. Like that's, if you want, if you want a decent education, you, you basically have to go to a, a private school, like the, the public schools, there's, there's maybe a couple, I mean, it might be, it might be different now, but definitely when I was growing up, there was like two, that were decent. Uh, they were good. Well, actually one of them, was, one of them was really good, but, um, there were two in Orleans that, um, are good public schools, but, uh, you know, definitely like in my neighborhood, um, even, even the, even the Catholic schools, even the private schools in my neighborhood aren't, aren't that great. You know, because you were surrounded by the, you know, re- religion and having that as a focus, like, did you, was that something you were raised with? Did you, I guess, care about it? Were you just like, well, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm here. Uh, where did you kind of sit with that? Uh, no, it wasn't something I was super into. Um, my family isn't very religious. I mean, I, I, I grew up, I grew up Catholic in the sense that I've gone to Catholic school all my life, but, um, I'm not a practicing, no, no one in my family, like, practices or like goes to church or whatever. Um, you know, my, my parents are very like, um, are not very religious, not very political. Um, just sort of, uh, standard blue collar, uh, suburban parents. Um, you know, they, they 
both uh, kind of grew up in the suburbs. My, my dad kind of more in like the the rougher rougher part of town, and um, you know is, is more of like a um, hillbilly type. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't a huge thing, you know, other than just being exposed to it um, in school. You know, having to take those classes and learn all that stuff and go to mass once a month, you know, because because of, of school. But it, it wasn't a huge thing, a huge thing for me in, ter- in terms in terms of like shape shaping me or anything. I mean, the the uh, maybe some of like the ethics or like the moral lessons um, were sort of interesting. But, um, you know, I, I was probably learning just as much from like world religion classes in in college or, um, you know, any kind of philosophy stuff I was taking or just, you know, having having um, half a brain. And as you started to, you know, get into subculture and, you know, hardcore and punk and everything like that, uh, you know, how did your parents react to that? Were they, you know, confused because I'm sure that they had no context for what you were bringing home or were they pretty permissive and let you kind of do what you needed to? Uh, I mean, they pretty much, you know, I was a good kid. I didn't get into trouble. I made good grades. Um, you know, I, I I rarely got into any kind of trouble, and and when I did, it wasn't any it wasn't anything serious. So, I mean, I, I never had a curfew. They they never really bothered me about the music I was listening to. Um, I, I started driving when I was fifteen, and they got me a car more so uh, because they didn't want to have to drive me to school. Because like Jesuit, you know, I, I live kind of way we I grew up kind of way out there in the suburbs, and and Jesuits like in the middle, not, not downtown, but it's like in new Orleans. Um, you know, so, so it's a little ways from our house. So, um, you know, I think, I think they got me driving as soon as they could, uh, just so they wouldn't have to bring me to school anymore. Um, you know, but I, I kind of like ran wild with that. I mean, like having a car early on was like a, a gateway to, um, finding shows and being able to like explore the city and, you know, basically like stumble upon punk and hardcore, um, shows and be able to get to like wherever I wanted to get to, to go to them. I mean, even like, especially like my last year of high school, like I would, I would go to shows during, during a weeknight in high school and stuff. Um, you know, no, no problems. You know, I was doing well enough in school where they, they just weren't even that worried about me. Um, so yeah, it was never, none, none of that stuff was ever really a big issue. I mean, not, not that they were like into it or, yeah, I mean, they, they weren't into it or they didn't care about it or weren't like in- interested in it at all or like, uh, you know, chatting with me about it. But, um, you know, they, they definitely weren't trying to stop me. Rockabilia.com. You hear me talk about it every week, but have you gone to their website? Have you used this code PC100Words to get you 15% off your order? Maybe you haven't, but let's change that today. They are the best place for all of your online merch needs. I love this company. They have so many items from a wide variety of bands. Metal, hardcore, punk, indie rock, rock, whatever it is you are into, they have something that is tailored to your taste and fit. You can dive in and just honestly spend at least an hour perusing their website, putting stuff in your cart, checking out, and using this code PC100Words that will get you 15% off your order. That's essentially me giving you a free shirt. You know, as long as you're ordering enough. But <laughs> I love this company. I love what they do. Independently run, amazing customer service. They ship from the Midwest, so it'll get to you very quickly. Um, I, th- that's it. 
There's nothing more to say other than go to rockabilia.com, use the code PC100Words, and enjoy your band merch as it arrives straight to your door. And let's be honest, it's all officially licensed. None of this horrible bootleg stuff. Because let's, there's so much bootleg stuff that exists now. Rockabilia does not traffic in that. They don't condone that. And they pay the bands directly because this is all above the board stuff. So rockabilia.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
I know just because, you know, after our, our first conversation, we started to, you know, really uh, nerd out over text in regards to uh, Metalcore and how deep our, uh, you know, <laughs> obscure knowledge is for that. It, it sounds like that was your entry point in regards to more subculture sort of stuff and understanding, like, how these bands interact with one another and, you know, the idea of, like, putting on shows and stuff like that. What kind of drew you in initially to, you know, bands of that nature? Was it the... Um, you know, like the energy of the shows? Was it, uh, you know, kind of all, a combination of all these things? Like what, what, what sort of drew you in initially? Uh, I don't know. Cause you know, I, I went, I went straight from, um, I went straight from like the grunge stuff and the alternative stuff, like almost, almost directly into hardcore. Like I didn't, you know, there was a, I, I was briefly into, uh, like the kind of third wave ska punk stuff, which I sort of liked because of the m- less of the ska and more like the sort of like frenetic punk energy. Um, but I, you know, I was into that for like two seconds and then like super into hardcore and, and it was sort of like, um, you know, per- Pearl Jam, you know, you see Eddie Vedder wearing like a Fugazi shirt and then you sort of get to minor threat somehow. And, um, going backwards from Rage Against Machine to get to like Inside Out. And then, um, you know, at the time, I think I was sort of like interested in punk and uh, a few of people that I was sort of like becoming friends with, I knew they were into, into punk or I thought they were into punk and, and basically had them like make me mixtapes and stuff. And um, I want to say like right around that time, one of my buddies had, had just discovered that Victory Style 1 sampler and and that was like pretty much a, a gateway into like all that hardcore hardcore bands of, of that you know like metalcore stuff and um, you know I think I think from there one of us got like a very very distribution catalog and um, you know we we would just go through that catalog and just highlight highlight records that we wanted to get oh sounds like Earth Crisis sounds like this sounds like that vegan straight edge moshcore like we would just highlight it and. And I would get some and he would get some and we would just like make tapes for each other or trade records back and forth. And um, it just kind of snowballed. I mean, sh- show wise, there was definitely like a handful of shows that were like pretty exciting. But uh, New Orleans was like not a lot of those bands was, were coming through here. I mean, that, that that's like a pretty much the main reason why I got into booking shows for so long is because um, – you know, the bands I wanted to see weren't playing New Orleans. So I, I would basically, you know, get the record and there'd be an address in the record and I'd write them a letter and say, hey, if you want to come play New Orleans, like here's my number, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, you know, then when I, when I started college, I, I got an email address and I started emailing all these bands and, um, you know, it just kind of went from there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was basically because the bands I wanted to see weren't playing New Orleans that um, – I kind of started booking shows or whatever, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. Definitely, definitely the. I I, I don't I, I don't know I don't know how to like what what exactly drew me in. I, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I definitely remember like um, when I got destroy the machines and started reading all the lyrics and stuff and sort of like seeing the like basically seeing the sort of like political militants of a band like Ragin's Ragin's machine apply to, <coughs> excuse me, applied to like veganism and straight edge was just sort of like a little eye opening to me that you could like, 
there would be bands that were like, like felt so strongly about stuff like that. I mean, not that I was vegan at the time and, you know, I didn't even really claim straight edge till I was like in my early twenties, but, um, I don't know. It just, it just seemed amazing to me and, um, wanted, you know, kind of made me want to dig, dig, dig a lot deeper into these things, you know? And, and then, you know, we would just get all kinds of zines and stuff and, and, and develop a sort of like mythology about these bands and, and, you know, what, what we thought the hardcore scene was and all this stuff, because there was no hardcore scene, you know, that we could find in New Orleans. Well, that, that that's really interesting. The idea that, you know, because you don't have anything, you know, directly in your backyard, you can't be influenced. Like you're just trying to bring all of these outside influences into, you know, your, uh, your sphere. And so <laughs> I like the idea of, uh, you know, especially like you're talking about, you know, going through the very catalog and highlighting things and being like, oh yes, like, you know, you buy the abnegation CD and then, you know, maybe I'll buy the disembodied CD or whatever. Um, just because I find it funny, you know, I'm sure you, you guys had some misses where you were like, oh yeah, we bought this record and this isn't that good, but we're still going to listen to it because we just spent, you know, $16 on this CD or whatever. Do you remember any of those, uh, you know, quote unquote disappointments? Oh, that abnegation CD for one. (laughs) I I just, I don't know why I pick on them, but yeah, (laughs) I mean, you're like, this isn't that good. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing was, we we got an abnegation by way of that Stones the Mark Mark of Fire compilation, and the song on that on that comp is awesome. And then we sort of backtrace and maybe got one of those seven inches or a couple of seven inches, and that stuff was great. And you get the CD, and the CD's garbage, but uh, yeah, definitely that. And um, what else? Uh, that band Ringworm, not not Ringworm, the the sort of like tough guy ringworm but ringworm with a with a U. cleveland band not not the not the cleveland band the i want to yep. say they're a california band ring right right right. U, right yeah yeah and uh that that i actually maybe would like that now thinking back on it but um and and they had like this absurd cover of uh mexican radio that i, I should i should send it to you it's it's incredible um I like it when, you know, you get into a band like, uh, I'll use an example, like Uniform Choice, where like, you know, you get screaming for a change and you're like, this record's amazing. And then you don't understand that so many of those hardcore bands then, you know, started to go more rock and, you know, butt metal or whatever. So like, I remember as you started to travel down the rabbit hole and be like, oh, dude, like Uniform Choice is a few records after that. And it's like, oh, wow, like this is very different. But, you know, you're a kid, you're just buying everything. Yeah. There was definitely stuff where like I couldn't get into it after like the first uh, the first record the first seven inch or whatever. As you started to get into all of the you know punk and hardcore, and you started to want to like actually see these bands and bring them down and you know have them play shows and stuff like that. The through line that you know I see in your uh, you know musical output as well is where it's like you know obviously it's very DIY and you know I mean you running the record store and like everything that you do kind of stems from that. And that drive isn't always something that people, I guess, kind of like continue over long periods of time, but you have. Um, is it just because you, you know, you don't know any other way? That's kind of like who you are as a person, you know, like where do you think that kind of comes from inside you? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's partially like that. Maybe it's like a little bit of like, um, um, control freak thing or, or um you know at least like uh 
wanting to have like a firm handle on having a firm say on certain things, you know, creative, creative control or whatever. Um, you know, like de- definitely for like the record shop, like we, we had sort of like a, <laughs> a cushier situation before we moved into like our, our kind of like permanent spot. And, um, you know, but we were in a, in a thing where we were in somebody else's space and didn't really have a lot of say over how things looked or this and that. And, you know, even though we're, paying for it now, like, um, you know, moving into our own space, we have like complete control over the, over the way that the space looks and how things set up. Like that's, that's important. And, um, you know, if it takes a little bit more work to like make that happen, it's worth it, you know? Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, definitely in terms of like vow, there's been instances where, um, I don't know, we've had opportunities to do stuff or, or get involved with things that, or maybe outside of like DIY, but um, you know, the, the sort of that sort of like punk DIY approach of things it, you know, less in terms of like the ideology of it, but more in terms of like the practicality of it, it just makes a lot more sense a lot of times to just like do certain things. And, and um I don't know, like certain things as I've gotten older, like even more so like, um, you know, with shows and, um, you know, we go on tour, like when we play shows and stuff like sharing gear, like something as simple as like sharing gear, I think is like, I don't know, something I probably wasn't even thinking about 10, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And, and now it's like, yeah, of course, like who wants to fucking drag this, the same 10 stupid eight by 10 base cabinets. And like, let's just share one of these stupid things or share these stupid guitar cabinets. Like there's, there's no point in like, um, you know, trying to, trying to have this back line. Everybody's got the back line of the same freaking gear. Like it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's silly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. The idea that you can actually be more efficient if you do it yourself rather than, you know, everybody working on their own independent lanes. It's like, no, how about we just like combine forces and do this together? It's like, oh yeah, you're right. That's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, and and just in terms of like, um, like get, like just getting things done. Um, like I've never understood, like there doesn't need to be gatekeepers for certain things. You know, it's very like putting on a show or whatever, like all that stuff, like it's very easy. You know, you find a room where you can be loud and have people and, you, you got to get a couple of like pieces of gear and you're good. You know, you have a band come make flyers. People will show up maybe if you're lucky. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's really very simple. Um, you know, and once you sort of like crack the code, um, I don't know, like that, that sort of, um, that spirit is very self empowering. I find, uh, and, and still fine. What was uh, a, like an early show that you put on that you were pretty proud of yourself for, uh, you know, doing? It doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, a really successful show. But what were you, I guess, proud of accomplishing? Uh, maybe like the early house shows we were doing. Uh, when, when I was in college, I had an apartment um, like near uh, the college I was going going to and um you know, it was one of these like uh, old New Orleans houses that was kind of split into like four apartments, but there was um, like an above ground basement that was basically like a shitty, shitty basement where they just had the 
the laundry machine. And, um, we just randomly started doing shows there and, um, it was awesome. Super fun, great space, rarely had any kind of issues with the neighbors. It, it was just incredible. I mean, that, that really like kind of opened my eyes to like the potential, the potential of, um, the sort of like transformative nature of spaces that you could take, you know, any old room and just turn it into this great space and, and have, just have a blast. Do you have any, uh, I guess, funny interactions with, you know, bands that you put on uh, shows with uh, originally as you were bringing them, you know, down and playing, you know, New Orleans for, you know, maybe the first or maybe second time? Um, do you have any experiences that you were like, oh, wow, this is this is funny that this happened this way? Um, I mean, I could think of like different bands like trying to fight me and stuff. Um, that band Ride Coalition, I had to cut them off one time. They tried to fight me um, over it. You know, you've, you've, you've heard that band over it from, uh, I, I want to say from Southern California, like a pop punk band from. Uh, of course, from, yeah, Santa Barbara area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they tried to fight me. Um, I, I actually I actually got so pissed at those guys that, um, I mean, this was back in the day when I had, I had more of a temper. Like, I, I like was threatening to just like fight all of them. That's kind of, it's kind of a long story with those guys, but. Basically, they had they had come on another they had come on another show and been kind of turds and stolen some stuff from the opening band and then uh, came back for a second show and I, I put on this second show and and didn't pay them and they got kind of pissed and it just sort of escalated. But anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Uh, other than like me almost getting in altercations with bands, uh, I'm not I'm not sure that anything too too wilds ever happened. I like the idea of kind of, you know, picking apart those, um, you know, early experiences that people have, because usually you have either, you know, colossal errors because, you know, you're just whatever, an 18 year old inviting people that are, you know, a couple years older than you to play a show. And then sometimes you're just like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. Like, you know, I should have got you guys water <laughs> or something, you know, you just like stuff that seems so basic, but then, you know, you just like total head palm later on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think my biggest thing early on was um, was not like always thinking that the touring band would headline the show, uh, and and New Orleans just isn't that kind of city, and especially for like early on the kind of bands I was bringing down, like these bands that no one's ever heard of in most places, let alone New Orleans. Um, like the idea that oh, I can just sandwich this touring band between two local bands and people will stay for the touring band like that. That was something I had to learn kind of early on and, um, you know, not, not being as worried about, um, getting the band that was like the perfect fit for the touring band, uh, sound wise, maybe, you know, kind of leaning in a little bit to like getting bands that would bring out people for the touring band, uh, was something I had to learn. And, um, Stuff like that, the, the PA stuff was sort of like a learning curve for me. Um, that that was a, a headache early on, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I always just kind of focused on these like smaller, like punk style shows, and and just kind of stuck with that. And and even now, when I do stuff, it's still like with that mentality. Only maybe it's like at a space that has a PA or something or has uh, certain amenities or, um, or I'm, 
I'm finding a competent person to like take care of that stuff for me and, and kicking them some cash or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What, early days was a lot of like, a lot of scrapping and, you know, I was, I was always very poor. So like um, it wasn't like there was like money, money in my pocket to just dish out to bands or whatever. I, I, I wish I had done a lot less shows. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not a quick learner. Like I have to, I have to like, I have to fuck it up like a thousand where other person might have to fuck it up like one time and learn. I might have to fuck it up like a thousand times before it gets through like my thick skull. Oh, I need to, I need to change this. Or I need to do this. Um, de- definitely stuff like um, making sure a band has like a nice, quiet, clean place to stay was like a thing I've like really focused on in later years and um, making sure bands get like fed at shows. Um, you know, from, from when we start, when we start going on tour that, that became like super important, super helpful. Um, you know, so that was, that was definitely a thing, especially like post Katrina, I was doing that pretty heavily um, cooking for bands uh, at the show or before the show or whatever. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you give, give them a little, uh, you know, taste of home while they're on tour or whatever. Yeah, right. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER this is it your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Um, the 
you know, as you started to, you know, tour and kind of get out there with Bao, uh, did you, I guess, do you like touring? Did you like the, you know, the adventure of it? Or were there things that you didn't, uh, I guess, understand as you started to tour and be like, oh yeah, I didn't think I would like miss that or, you know, any sort of um, misconceptions that you had about touring? Uh, well, by the time I started touring with Val, I, I started touring with friends' bands and then my bands in 2001, I think. Uh, and then I, by the time I was touring with Val, it was like 2007. So it had already been like six years of um, going on at least like one tour every summer, uh, every year, if not, if not more than one tour. Um, so, you know, at that point I kind of knew what was up. Um, the thing about the vow tour, vow tours and vow touring is even the very first one we went on, um, you know, which is probably like, I'd only played like two shows with that at that point. Um, and it was a tour I booked for another band um, that one that Andy from that was playing drums in uh, and, and a vow hopped on it. Um, that tour went like surprisingly well, like, like better than any tour I had been on previously. And, and for no reason, I mean, both band like vow and, and the other band we were on tour with, we need to talk, um, you know, were like obscure bands. It just went, it went really well. And like the response to it was really great. And, and at that point I was sort of like, Oh, well shit, maybe we should, maybe thou should tour a bunch. Like maybe this could be like a serious band uh, for us and we could, we could go out on tour a bunch. And, and that's when things sort of like um, sort of escalated for us in, in terms of touring. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything I really, um, I'm, I'm pretty easy going with all that stuff. Like I, I do a lot of the driving, the driving doesn't bother me that all that stuff doesn't really bother me. The sleeping on floors and all that stuff doesn't really bother me. The, the food stuff, you know, usually we can figure that out. Um, yeah, I don't know what, what else is there <laughs> to stay in, right now, now. Now the hardest, now, the, now the hardest thing for me is like the, the staying up late, like the shows going so late sometimes. Like I don't, I don't like to stay up super late anymore. I, I like to go to bed early. So um, usually when we go out now, like that's, that's like my biggest issue. Um, you know, but even that, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're right. Pretty- you're like, I, right. yeah, you're like, I don't, I don't want to play at 1130. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's get this earlier. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to play at 930. I, w- I want the show to be over by 10 o'clock. Totally. You want to, you want a two band bill. That's a, yeah. that's the uh, sweet spot. <laughs> two, two, two bands sharing gear, playing 15 minute sets. Oh, that's perfect. Show starts at eight, ends at 10. Done. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, after you joined now and you, you, like I said, you know, you started to tour, put out records and everything like that. Was it, um, you know, interesting for you to uh, kind of navigate the experience of, you know, starting to get, uh, and I use the word recognized in air quotes in regards to, you know, being a, uh, you know, a, <laughs> a public figure, quote unquote, and have people like, you know, recognize you know, what the band was doing and appreciating the art and music and stuff like that. Um, I realize obviously on a sliding scale of a uh, quote unquote stardom, you know, um, the punk and metal and hardcore scene is a, a very low scale, but you know, was it interesting for people to start to pay attention to the art that you were putting out there? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'm still kind of floored that people care about us at all, you know. Um, but I think that we're kind of lucky in the sense that, um, you know, both both musically and like in terms of um, our popularity or whatever, our uh, notoriety has it, it, sort of developed like very incrementally. You know, it's like very, it's like baby steps. So it's, there was never like, you know, it was never like um, we've been doing it for like however many years and all of a sudden we're like, you know, this is some things like it just sort of like kind of slowly built up to where it is now. Um, you know, the same way that like any kind of changes or developments in our music is like, you know, being very slow incremental progressions. Um, so, um, yeah, it was never like... Um, I don't know. It's never been like a, a weird thing or a thing where um, I think any of us have gotten like super big heads about it. I mean, and, and even when I sort of notice people s- sort of starting to do that kind of stuff now, it's when I'll usually like write a few songs uh, to try to like crit- do a little self critique and knock us down a few notches in, in terms of that. Or I'll, I'll, um, I'll sort of take to social media and, um, and, you know, heavily ridicule us or, uh, or ridicule any of our bandmates that are sort of stepping on a line or whatever. Um, I don't know. We're very self-policing with all this stuff. And I, and I, I think that, um, be, being from new Orleans too, like there's just, I don't know, you can only have so big of a head about, about that kind of shit. Yeah. Well, you, you guys are very, uh, self-deprecating and, you know, even though your art is serious and the, what you are creating is serious, um, you know, you, like you mentioned, you take the piss out of yourselves on social media and stuff like that. Um, do, do people, uh, you know, I guess react negatively to it or be like, you know, I want my band to be, you know, the, as serious as the music they put out or whatever, or are people generally like, oh yeah, like that, that's cool. Like, you know, they're, they're really humans. Oh, I mean, there's, there's, there's a mix of both of that stuff. I mean, you know, how it is, there's people that take everything too seriously. So like definitely if we're like goofing off or whatever, I mean, there's people too, that like we'll be joking around about something and, and it just goes right over their heads. Or if, if I, you know, one of us like quotes some like disparaging remark or review about us, like we're doing it cause we think it's funny and like, we like it, like, and it's not, it's not like hurting our feelings and we don't need anybody to sort of like come to our defense or like, um, you know, uh, massage our egos or whatever. Like we think that stuff's hilarious. Like I, I would, I would much rather see bad reviews and, and people sort of like trying to tear us apart than, um, the sort of like, you know, mediocre, bland, generic, uh, like good, good review or whatever. Um, you know, the bad ones are, way better I've got, I've got a whole page on our on our website uh somewhere that's like all kinds of like just bad reviews and people talking shit and like you know people trolling us on the internet or you know i find stuff on message boards people talking shit i got like a whole collection of that stuff uh on, on our website so I, I love it it's uh it brings me joy so go ahead and keep pouring that in yeah it, i i listened to an interview with um with our, our friend Paul, uh, that from, uh, I, mean, I guess, I guess the band he's known for now is, uh, the band blood incantation, but there was an interview with him recently where he was talking about, um, 
you know, he says something about, about loving his haters because, um, you know, they're sort of like, it, it's like those people that like are really like putting the most energy into your band, like really like thinking about you and like, like, you know, he, he had this very like uh, new age esoteric uh, take on it. But uh, I, I thought that's hilarious. Man, I, I, that stuff just, it's just, it's just like, who cares? Like, who cares? Like, why would, I, I don't know. It's like, I'm not, I'm not in a band to like, I'm not in a band to uh, entertain people or to like make friends or to like, um, you know, get some sort of like accolades or something. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm in a band. Cause like, I want to create art and, and put art out there that like, I think is interesting. And if other people don't think it's interesting, well, that's fine. Like, I don't think, the majority of shit out there that people are doing or that people are into is interesting. So if, if all these boneheads that like all this dumb shit that I don't like, don't like our band, like that makes perfect sense to me that, that, that should be, that should be how it goes. So, so if anything, it's like more surprising to me when our band does resonate with people who, you know, for all intents and purposes, like I, I feel no, connection to a lot of times or you know no like we we have nothing in common in terms of like our our shared interests right right you're like why do you like thou i don't understand <laughs> yeah i mean it's like i i just spent the last like four or five hours at the shop listening to like fiona apple like i don't care about slayer or morbid angel or whatever like i don't care i don't want to talk to you about that i don't care about you know whatever new death metal record, like, I don't give a shit. Like, you know, let's talk about the Smiths. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about obscure mid nineties metal core. Uh, I, I don't care about, you know, legendary thrash metal bands. It's yeah. totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's, let's, let's talk, let's talk about that. That's that six snapcase seven inch. Um, the, uh, the last thing I was going to hit on was the, you know, it, Everybody always brings up, um, you know, in every interview that I've seen published of yours was like, you know, oh my gosh, you guys put out so much material. Like, you know, you do so many splits, you do so many, you know, cover songs, like uh, the, the activity of the band, um, you know, outstrips, you know, most bands ambitions. Um, but for me personally, like what impresses me is your, you know, continual evolution of the band. Like you were talking about earlier, the ability for you guys to put, you know, stuff that is not similar to what you've done previously, or even a further stretch of it, you know, like the most recent split you put out with, uh, Emma Ruth Rundle. Um, you know what for you, I mean, you don't have to speak for the rest of your band, but for you, what would you say your kind of primary goal is? Is it, you know, I guess out like the amount of stuff that you put out there um, or is it kind of the longevity? Because, you know, thou has existed for a long time as well. So what's kind of more important to you or are they both equally important? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's either of those things because I'm not, I'm not as interested in the amount as I am the quality of the material. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I'm necessarily... The longevity thing, like, I, I don't know, because I, I personally kind of feel like, at least for me, the band has a sort of expiration date to it. You know, at, at some point, I'm going to feel too old to be screaming on stage. Like, and, and maybe this is just by virtue of, like, what my role in the band is. Uh, but I, I think at some point, you know, whether I'm 
50 or 60 or 70, I'm going to feel a, a bit foolish, like screaming into a microphone on stage while people stare at me through their cell phones. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely like put ha- having, having quality records that I can look back on and feel proud of, like creating art, putting, putting together a record that like I can, I can stand behind years from now. Like that's, that's probably the most important thing to me. Um, I, I, you know, I, I would definitely like there to be more of those in our catalog than less, but um, you know, I'll, I'll settle for like the best things we can put out. I mean, that's, that's definitely, you know, maybe that's a reason also why we've sort of like slowed down a bit in recent years is um, the sort of qual the back end quality control is um, a lot higher than maybe it was when we were first doing the band. Um, but, but also like that, that sense, you know, that people have, I think of, of us being like a super prolific band in, in terms of like releasing a ton of material. It, it, it's like, um, you know, that, that's like a magic trick with us because it's not like we, um, like, like we do things in, in spurts where like we just write a lot of material at one time and record a lot of material at one time. And then it just sort of like gets parceled out, you know, like. Uh, the early days when we were doing a lot of splits, like, you know, de- definitely that, that period between, um, between peasant summit, you know, I think we recorded something like 13 or 14 songs in one recording session, you know, like a weekend recording session. And then that stuff got parceled out to like, you know, I don't know, five or six or seven splits and EP and all this stuff. And, you know, so it just, it looks like we're like, constantly churning stuff out but it's like it's usually like we come up with a batch of songs and record that batch of songs and then and then the stuff sort of just gets parceled out um so i don't know i think i think people um maybe look at it look at it wrong maybe we are right i guess we are writing a lot of stuff but um you know also like our our material is also like for the most part on the longer side time-wise, you know, we do a split seven inch or split 12 inch with somebody. It's like, you know, we've got two songs on there, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not like a minor threat. You half a side of a minor threat record with like, you know, 80 songs on it or something. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, we're, we got, uh, we got 16 minutes and a song and a half there. Right. Exactly. (laughs) This this will be the last question. Uh, you are are still you know very connected to obviously all of the you know DIY principles and uh, everything that you have built up over time in regards to not only the band but your record store, um, and you know clearly still care about music. Uh, what what keeps you I guess attached to it or motivated from that perspective? Because you know a lot of quote unquote normal people either age out of this or you know, uh, figure out other things for their, their life and kind of be like, Oh, that, you know, all that stuff was like kind of kid stuff that I was into. Um, you know, what kind of keeps you attached to this? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I don't think I would ever refer to myself as an artist, uh, artist, artiste, you know, just seems too pretentious, but, um, you know, like definitely like the excitement of, um, creating art and being around people that create create art and sort of being uh, inspired by other people's art definitely keeps me coming back to it. Um, 
you know, my, my tastes are also like fairly broad, you know, they're sort they're, I don't know, they're very specific, but they're also kind of broad. So like, you know, I'm not like one of these people that I was, you know, I'm just into vegan straight edge, you know, 90s style hardcore, you know, and I'm going to be into that for X amount of years. And then that's, you know, like I, I, I like a lot of different things. So like when my, um, you know, attention for something wanes, it's usually because it's waxing for, for something else. Like there's always sort of something to like catch, catch my interest. And, um, you know, I don't know. I've, I've always like, I I have a a fairly strong work ethic when it comes to this stuff. Um, I mean, I'm a world-class, world-class procrastinator also, but, um, you know, eventually I'll get some work done. Um, and, and I like the work. I mean, I like, I like the stuff I like, you know, even with like booking shows, like, um, you know, making flyers and stuff. I love, I love that stuff. It's just, it's fun. You know, it's, it's fun. It's creative. And it's like, um, you know, like I'm, I'm, especially with like punk where you can just like, you know, punk, like with punk stuff, like I feel, I feel like it gives me free reign to just like steal from wherever I want to steal from and reuse stuff and, um, in different, in ways that are like interesting to me. Um, and, and, you know, to me, that means like, I don't have to be like the most skilled person in order to like accomplish something. Like I, I can, I can be in this band that like does pretty good and I don't know how to sing. I'm just up there like screaming like an idiot, you know, like, or, or, or like, you know, if I want to like do a fly or something, like I don't even need to know how to use like Photoshop or whatever. Like I have a, I literally still use, when I make flyers, I still have a typewriter, like a manual typewriter that I bang away on and get the text and, and I, I go to Kinko's and I cut and paste stuff and I've got a Sharpie and I'm marking stuff up with a Sharpie and, you know, and like that's all it takes. And like you can you can still do stuff that I think is like cool and worthwhile and interesting. Um, you know, c- clearly people, some people out there think that Thou is, is an interesting band, um, despite the fact that I am like not a musician, have no talent, could not talk to you about music stuff at all. You know, like that's, that's, that's punk to me. You know, that's like what, what keeps me interested and like keeps me, um, you know, trying to, trying to refine my meager skills, whatever they, whatever they are, even if it's just like stealing from Pearl Jam or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) no, no, I, I I totally hear you. Well, Brian, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. I I really appreciate this and uh, I'm glad we were able to go different places and uh, I promise I won't lose this conversation. Yeah. (laughs) No, no problem. Hopefully I don't, I don't screw anything up on my end or whatever. Thank you very much, Brian, for coming on the show a second time because the first conversation will be lost to the annals of history. But I felt like I, maybe, maybe I can look at it like the first conversation was uh, priming the pump. It was a pre-interview, <laughs> even though an hour long pre-interview is a little ridiculous, but thank you, Brian, for coming on the show again. And thank you to uh, his publicist Bailey for hooking this up. So what do we have next week? Of course we have another episode next week. Like we always do like clockwork every Wednesday. And if it doesn't happen on Wednesday, something's gone terribly wrong, <laughs> but we have Dylan Slocum from Spanish love songs on the podcast. This was one of my favorite records of 2020. 
And uh, I had to have Dylan on. It, he's one of those people that I know we've traveled in the same orbit, but we've never met. And uh, I was able to make it happen. So that's what we got next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.